the First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. mean for us? I mean, what does this tension between grace and truth have to do with us? I mean, Jesus, the Bible says, is full of grace and truth. What does that mean then for you and and for me and for this church? Everything. You see, we are to be spiritually maturing Christ followers, growing into the fullness of the image of Christ, which means if Jesus was full of grace and truth, then I need to be full of grace and truth, which means you need to be full of grace and truth. And because we're the church, then the church needs to be full of grace and truth. And Christ is the example of that. In fact, let me show you what this looks like. It looks like this. No matter who you are, and no matter where you've been, and no matter what you've done, you are welcome here. The you are welcome in our building, that you are welcome in our community, and you are welcome in our lives. And we love you and care about you, and we're here for you, no strings attached. And understand, we're going to be honest with you, we're going to tell you the truth, because, because we love you, we will tell you the truth. We owe it to you, and we owe it to God to be real with you and honest with you, even if it hurts. And so we're going to tell you that drunkenness is killing your family and your relationships. That pornography is eating you up from the inside out. That jealousy and bitterness is going to destroy your family. That infidelity and adultery and lust and envy, all those things are sin. And those sins dishonor God. And that sin at some point will cost you something in your lives. A sin always does. We're going to tell you that the way that you act at work, away from church and away from your Christian friends, that matters. The way that you treat your kids matters. The way that you talk to your spouse matters. The way that you treat strangers, especially those who are different from you, matters. But you also have to understand, we we don't condemn you. We don't hate you. We don't look down our self-righteous noses at you. In fact, we forgive you. We love you. More importantly, we identify with you. And we're here for you. And we're praying for you. And you and your life is important to us. And we want to help you. We want to help you draw close to the only one who can offer you any real hope at all and any real healing at all, which is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're going to help you to get to know who he is. And we're going to help you have a relationship with him. We're going to help you begin to follow him and to become a spiritually maturing Christ follower too. And we're going to tell you the truth because it's going to get hard. And at times you're going to have doubts. And there'll be times you're going to wonder where God is. And there'll be times you're going to feel like you're failing God. And I'm going to tell you right now, there will be times you will fail him. But we're going to give you grace. And we won't get offended by your doubt. And we won't get upset by your heart questions and we won't disown you when you fall down and make a mess of things we're going to love you and we're going to consistently remind you that Jesus loves you and he loves you so much that he died for you and when the road gets hard we're going to be here right here with you and no matter what happens we will be here all the while pouring into your life both grace and truth because we are a loving community of Christ followers, passionately in pursuit of Jesus, deeply connected to one another, completely committed to share the hope and the healing of the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world because we are First Baptist Church and you are welcome here. 
Good morning and uh, welcome to First Baptist Church. And we are actually really excited to have you here with us today. And uh, the reason why we play this video is simple, is, is that is who we are striving uh, to be. Uh, we're striving to be a loving community of Christ followers, passionately in pursuit of Jesus, deeply connected to one another, and completely committed to sharing the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and the rest of the world. And, uh, and the reason why we play this video periodically, it's, it's for really for two reasons. Number one, if you are new here and you're not really sure what First Baptist Church is all about, then this is, this is a very clear way for, uh, that we've encapsulated it for you. It's a clear description of who we are aspiring and growing to be as a community and as a local church. And then secondly, this video is a reminder of, uh, for those of us who have been here for a while, uh, what it is at First Baptist Church that we're about. Okay, It's a reminder of, of where it is that we're going and what we're aspiring to grow to be. And it reminds us um, that we're a group of people who were supposed to be sold out for Jesus, sharing the hope of the gospel with everyone around us. And as and as Christ followers, <clears throat> we're going to be both full of grace and truth, just like Jesus was. In fact, John, uh, the Apostle John, tells us that uh, when Jesus came to the earth, that he was full of grace and truth. And uh, and what that means for us is that we as a church, um, we're going to have to have grace for people, okay? And, and it means we're going we're gonna to love them regardless of who they are, that we're going to forgive them and be patient with them and, and, and compassionate with them and, and love them unconditionally. But at the same time, we're still going to tell them the truth. We're going to be honest and tell them the truth, even if it hurts. In fact, that's why we're here this morning. We're, you see, we're in part four of our series titled Christianity 101, and it's subtitled What We Believe and Why. And, and this series, uh, we've, been, we've been talking about the essentials of our faith and, and, and what must we believe you know, at the foundational level uh, of our faith. And, and, so, uh, and so far, we've covered a lot of ground already, but today, <clears throat> today we're going to talk about the truth. Now, understand, we always talk about the truth, but, but what we're going to talk about today is a truth that really so many of us want to ignore. It's a truth that lots of people just don't want to come to terms with. It's a truth that so many people just want to set aside and pretend that it's not real. It's a truth that people just want to get past and get around. It's a truth that so many wish didn't exist, and, fr and frankly, this truth at times hurts. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, and, and, and today's problem probably going to be a difficult conversation. It's probably going to be one of those hard conversations, but we still need to have it. Uh, but before we get into that, let me just take a moment and let me just get, get you up to speed of where we are so far. And uh, as I said before, we're in uh, Christianity 101, and the whole point of this series is really to give you a foundational understanding of the essential things, uh, uh, the essential doctrines of, 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 of our Christian faith. What is it we need to believe in order to be saved or to follow Christ? Uh, you know, we're talking about basic Christianity here. And so we kicked this thing off uh, in week one, and we discussed and got absolutely clear about the fact that it is not what you do that saves you. It is what you believe that saves you. It is not what you do, but what you believe that places you in the place of salvation, okay? You see, you're saved by grace through faith, not by how you behave, okay? So Paul, uh, just as he told the jailer who asked, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Salvation comes from what we believe and not what we do. And we discussed this in week one. And then week two, we talked about the object of our belief. If we're saved by what we believe, then what is it that we need to believe? What is the, the object of that belief? What is it we believe in? Well, the object of what we believe 
And the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. Okay? And in week one, we talked about the historical perspective of Jesus, that object of our faith. And we began to look at Jesus from a historical perspective, and we began to look at who he was in history. And as we did, we came to terms with some things that we absolutely need to be clear about and believe about the historical Jesus, and they were these. Uh, you need to believe that Jesus um, was, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, and that he died on the cross, and he was literally physically raised back to life. These are not mystical things. These are not legends, and they're not mysterious things. These are historical facts, and these are the things that actually happened, and these are the things that we must believe about Jesus, the Jesus of history. And then last week, we started talking about the real Jesus, not to say that um, the historical Jesus is not the real Jesus. It's just that we're talking about the real Jesus as God himself in his own word reveals to us. Okay, and so last week we talked about the nature of who Christ really is. And as we talked about that, last week was probably the most theologically com complex discussion in this series so far. And so as we, uh, as we talked about who Jesus is, we talked about the fact that Jesus is in fact God. He is 100% God, but he is also God in the flesh, which means he is 100% God and 100% man. And last week we talked about what that means and what we discovered and so there are five things that we need to believe about the nature of Christ and who he is. Okay? And number one is that Jesus has two natures. He has a divine nature and a human nature. He is both God and man. Number two, these natures are full and complete. He's not 80% God and 20% man, or 50% God and 50% man. He is 100% God and 100% man. Number three is these two natures remain distinct. Jesus' natures do not change one another. Jesus' divine nature remains divine. His human nature remains human. They, are, they still remain distinct. Um, number four is that even though the, the Jesus has two natures, he is still only one person. He's still only one person. He is one person with two natures. And then number five, um, what is true of one of his natures is true of the person of Jesus, meaning that his divine nature, in his divine nature, Jesus existed in eternity past. John says in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Jesus existed for eternity past in his divine nature. But in his, in his human nature, he had a real birth, you know, in space and time. And both of those facts are still true about the person of Jesus Christ. And I know that was complicated, but, uh, but you see what we talked about is, 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 is it's important to know who it is that actually saves us. Okay? It's important to know who it is that actually saves us because as we mentioned before, if I tell you that you can trust Keith Baird with your life, but you put your trust in some guy named Keith Baird who's six foot four, 270 pounds with long flowing black hair and speaks with an Australian accent, okay, you've probably misplaced your trust, okay? Okay, because we're not talking about the same person. They might have the same name, but they're not the same people. Who you put your trust in is essential to your faith. So it's important to understand who Jesus really is, okay? And so, so, so that's what we talked about so far. And, and, and what we need to do, and we talked about what we need to do uh, or what we need to believe about Jesus uh, and to make sure that we're believing the right things about Jesus. What is it that we need to believe about the historical and, 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 and the, the, um, the real Jesus that, that makes our faith authentic? And those are the things that we've actually kind of talked about so far. And, and so far, what we've done is we made a point to answer 
the who question, okay? Who is it that we need to place our trust in to be saved? Who is it that that saves us? Who is the real Jesus that we must hope in? That's what we've answered. We've answered the who question, but there is another question that we need to ask, okay? Another important question that absolutely we must answer. It's a question that goes right to the foundation of our salvation, a a question that is absolutely a clear clear indication of, of whether we understand the gospel or not. It's something that we need to be clear about. In fact, the way that we answer this question has a direct bearing on whether or not that we are saved. And I know that's a really, really big statement, but that's the truth. You see, it's just as important as it is to know who it is that saves us. It is the question of why. Why is it that we need to be saved? Why do we need salvation in the first place? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross to begin with? And I know that, that these, you know, we've kind of talked about these things, and we, and we talk about this subject on a regular basis, but this is a question we really absolutely need to get clear about. We need to take a, a closer look at, because let me just tell you, the answer to this question is essential to your faith, Okay? It is absolutely 100% essential to your faith. You must know why you need salvation. You must know why Jesus had it on the cross. Okay? But at the same time, the answer to this question for many people is, is the hard part of the gospel. Okay? This is the part of the gospel that we don't want to accept. This is the part of the gospel that the world is working so hard to cover up. This is the part of the gospel that nobody likes. Okay? Why do we need salvation? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Nobody likes the true answer to the question of why. And, and because of that, there's so many people, including those who call themselves Christians, who have developed false ideas about why Jesus came in the first place. So let me just be 100% clear. Jesus did not come to the earth and die on the cross so that you can have a better life. Okay? Let me just be clear about that right now. He did not die on the cross so that you could have a better life. Now I'm not saying that if you're a Christ follower and you sell up for Jesus and you follow him that your life won't get better in many respects because it absolutely can get better and it will get better, but that is not why Jesus came. Okay? You simply having a better life is too small of a thing for Jesus to come to the earth and die for. And let me just tell you, Jesus did not die on the cross so you could have more stuff. Okay? Contrary to what a lot of teaching happens in our country, that is not why Jesus came. Okay? Jesus did not come to the earth, you know, so that way you can have more stuff. Okay? He didn't didn't come there so you can somehow be more prosperous and have more money. Okay? That's just simply, if you believe that that Jesus, you know, if you believe in Jesus, you'll have the house of your dreams, the car of your dreams, or the job of your dreams, or the spouse of your dreams. That's not what it's about. John 3.16 does not say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will be healthy, wealthy, and happy. That's not, that is not what it says. That's not what it's about. And that's, and that is not why Christ came to the earth. Okay. He didn't die for you for that reason. And Jesus did not die on the cross so you could feel better about yourself and have better self-esteem. Okay. He didn't die on the cross so you could be happy. Okay. Because the truth is happiness is just too small of a thing for Christ to die for. Okay. Your happiness is too fickle of a thing for Jesus to die for. Now, I'm not saying that, that Jesus doesn't care about your happiness, okay? And, 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 he's not, and I'm not saying he doesn't care about your self-esteem or how you feel. In fact, Jesus cares a great deal about the joy that you have in your heart. He cares a great deal about your joy and, and, and your hope, okay? Jesus wants you to be happy. I mean, he promises that when he comes back, he will make all things right, and there will be no more 
tears and no more pain and heartache. Jesus cares about how you feel. But that's not why he died on the cross. He died for a reason much bigger than that. And Jesus did not die on the cross so that you could be a better person. Okay? That is not what it's about. He didn't come from heaven to earth so you could be a better father, a better mother, or a better husband, or a better neighbor. Okay? I mean, as much as we talk about these things, that's not why Jesus ended up here on the earth. That's not why you need salvation. That is not why you need to trust in Jesus. Now understand, I firmly believe with all my heart that if you will follow Jesus, okay, if you will sell out for Jesus and put him first in your life, and you will walk in grace and truth, and you will let the Holy Spirit lead you, that you will absolutely be a better person. I believe that. Okay, And that you would be a better friend or a better husband or a father, a better wife and, and mother. Okay, if you sell all the way out for Jesus, you will absolutely become a better neighbor. But that is not why Jesus died, because that is a too small of a thing for him to die. And let me just tell you, Jesus did not die on the cross so we could have world peace right now. Okay? He didn't die so we could have peace on earth in this lifetime. And I know that's a controversial statement. Okay? I know that's a statement a lot of people are not going to like. There's a, this is a statement that a lot of people are going to disagree with, including many people who call themselves Christians. But it is the truth. Many disagree with this because there are a lot of people who want to focus on behavior. Okay? They believe that it's about how you behave and not what you believe. And a lot of people think that if Christians will just focus their attention on how they behave instead of their doctrine, what they believe, then somehow, if that were to happen, then one day the entire world was simply going to get better and we're going to all treat each other better. But let me be really clear. Not only will that not happen in this lifetime, okay, Jesus did not come to earth to die on the cross so that, that, so that in this life that there would be peace on earth. Now, it's not to say that we don't work towards that. Okay? It's not to say that we don't love our neighbors and our enemies with a reckless abandon exemplifying Christ in the world around us. Okay? It's not to say that we, we don't strive for peace because even Paul even tells us. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We are to strive for peace and we're to work towards healing relationships everywhere. But that's not why Jesus came to the earth. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew 10, 34, Do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Okay, So let's be very, very clear. Jesus didn't die on the cross so the entire world in this era and in this life would come together in peace and real love. That's not why he came. Not to say that, that Christ can't bring peace to people or that he can't reconcile people groups together because he can he does. But that is not why he came here because that too is way too small. As strange as that may seem, that's way too small of a thing. World peace in our lifetime is too small of a thing for Jesus to die for. You see, all of these things, okay, having a better life, having more stuff, being a better person, feeling better about yourself, and peace on earth, all of these things, though they may, may be the focus of the world and the focus of many people around us, and the focus of many people who say they love God and claim to follow Jesus, all of these things, as important as they are to people, they are not the reason why Jesus came to the earth to become a man. They're not the reason why he died on the cross. Because as important these things are to people, they're still way too small for Jesus to sacrifice himself for. They're way too small. Now, I'll agree and say that these things are probably important. 
And these things are probably, you know, can be byproducts and certainly can be side benefits of following Jesus. But let's be clear that they are not why Jesus came to the earth. Because the truth is, Jesus came for something so much bigger than that. He came for something more important. And that is the truth. That is the truth that we need to embrace. The truth that we must believe. Jesus came for something more important. You see, Jesus died on the cross for one reason. He died on the cross to save people from their sin. Okay? That's why he came. Okay? That is why he died on the cross. Is to save people from their sin. It was to save you from your sin. It was to save me from my sin. It was to save your mama and your grandma and your husband and your best friend and everyone you know from their sin. That is why he came. That is why he died. You see, the answer to the why question is our sin. Jesus came to save us from our sin. That's why we, that's why we need to come to terms with this. Okay? That is the truth that we must believe and accept because until we come to the place where you understand you need to be saved from your sin, you've not met Jesus Christ. Because here's the truth. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus so that you can have a better life, so that you, you know, maybe feel better about yourself or so you can be a better person, you have not really actually moved to faith in Christ. You've not trusted in Jesus. If you put your faith in Jesus so he will pay your mortgage or heal your grandma of cancer, you have misplaced your faith in Jesus because that's not why he came. He came for something bigger. You see, the only reason why you or anyone else would truly put your trust in Jesus is because you come face to face with a horrific and brutal and sinister reality of sin. It is the vile and ugly reality of our sin that causes us to seek our Savior. And it's this fact that the world wants to turn a blind eye to. This is a fact that the world wants to ignore and pretend it doesn't exist. That reality of sin, the reality of sin is the fact that the world wants to completely dismiss as folklore and fairy tale. And there are many Christians who want to ignore it as well. So many uh, do not want to talk about sin or the consequences of sin. They want to talk about behavior and being better people and, 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 and feeling better about ourselves and peace on earth, but they don't want to talk about sin. And the reason, but the reason why Jesus died on the cross in the first place isn't a feel-good thing. It isn't a better person thing. Okay? It isn't a peace on earth thing. The reason why he died on the cross is a sin thing. Jesus died on the cross because of sin. Jesus, the who, died on the cross for sin. That's the why. And that, and, and that is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the doctrine of sin. We're going to talk about what we must believe about sin in order to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. What is it about sin we must believe in order to be saved? And I'll admit right now, this is probably going to be the most difficult conversation that we've had in this series. And it's not difficult because it's the most theologically complex conversation we've had because it's not. In fact, I'm not going to even issue the warning about geeky theolog theological content that I've been, been issuing the last few weeks because today's subject is not really theologically complex but it is still difficult and it's difficult for a different reason it's difficult because the truth of this subject of sin hurts okay in fact I'm going to issue a warning but it's a different kind of warning today the warning I want to issue is this what we're going to talk about today might be uncomfortable okay 
What we're going to talk about today might even be a little bit painful. This conversation might hurt a little bit. And it might even create some unsettled feelings in you. And it might unsettle some of your assumptions about what you think and, and unsettle some of your assumptions that you have about God and, and unsettle some of your assumptions that you have about who you are. But I'm telling you in advance, okay, this conversation might be a little bit painful. But let me just tell you, it is not my intention to hurt you. It is not my intention um, to cause you pain. All right? But as a, a follower of Jesus Christ, my obligation is to share with you both grace and truth. Grace and truth. You see, the grace part of me wants to tell you, I love you and I care about you. And no matter what happens, I'm still going to love you and care about you. But the truth part of this is, says that because I love you and because I care about you, I have to tell you the real, hard, unvarnished truth, regardless of what, my, of what pain it may cause to you. I have to tell you the truth because I love you and because the truth, as Jesus says, the truth will set you free. Well, the truth is that there are four things that you absolutely need to know uh, about sin. There are four essential things that you must believe firmly about sin because what you believe about sin determines how you see yourself in your relationship to Christ in the gospel. You see, you cannot fully accept the remedy for sin unless you understand your need for that remedy. I'm going to say that one more time, okay? You cannot fully accept the remedy for sin, which is what Christ is. He's a remedy for sin. You cannot fully accept that remedy for sin unless you understand your need for the remedy. For example, you're not typically going to walk into your house into the medicine cabinet and grab four ibuprofen and take them for no reason, okay? You take ibuprofen as a remedy for something, whether it's pain or inflammation, okay? Nobody thinks to themselves, man, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm lonely, or whatever, and then walks in and says, I'm going to take four ibuprofen to take care of that, okay? That is not, that is not how that works, okay? You take it as a remedy for something specific. Likewise, Christ's death on the cross was a remedy for sin. And you can't and you don't receive that remedy for sin unless you know what sin is and how it is infecting you. You cannot fully accept the remedy for sin unless you understand your need for that remedy. You cannot understand your need for that remedy until you actually understand these four essential truths about sin. Now, to make this discussion really a little bit easier, I've provided for you in your notes a little special fill-in sheet in your bulletin. And at the top of it, it says uh, four things that I need to believe about. In that first fill-in at the very top, it says sin. Okay? There are four things I need to believe about sin. These are the four essential things that you and I need to come to terms with and embrace and believe about sin in order to have a relationship with Jesus. Now, Understand, this is not all there is to know about sin, okay? But these are the four things that will provide you and anyone else a basic understanding of what you need to know in order to receive Christ, who is the remedy for your sin. And, and so the, the first one is simply this, okay? The first one is simply the fact is you must believe that sin is a real thing. Now, that might seem silly to you that I make that statement. 
Uh, but, the, but, the, but the thing is, there are a lot of people who just simply don't believe that it is. Okay? There are a lot of people who deny that, that sin, sin's a thing or that it really exists. In fact, in our culture, in our world, the movement has been toward, and it's moving toward still, relative truth. Okay? It's the idea that there is no fixed point of objective truth. And, and so people will say that, well, the truth is what is relative to me. right? The truth is what I decide for it to be. And so sin, by extension, then, isn't a real thing. Okay? Because, because sin is simply what I find unacceptable, right? And, and, and it's what I think is wrong. But since the truth is relative and what I find is wrong, then, is relative, all right? What is wrong for me might be wrong for you. And so I, if I say having an affair with a married woman is wrong, you might say, well, that might be wrong for you, but it's not wrong, you know, for me. You see, the truth is relative, then the idea of sin has no substance. But we know that that is not the truth. We know the truth is not relative. It is objective and it has its origins in, in perfection in God. God is truth. And, and not only is he truth, he's righteous and holy. Okay? And John tells us, he says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Okay? God is a source of all that is right and good. And God is that standard. And, and he created the world and mankind and created them in that standard. He created them good. In fact, the Bible says, and God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. Okay, everything God made was good and perfect, but then something happened. Mankind chose to rebel against God. Okay, God, the very essence of what is good. And they rebelled just like Satan did, who, by the way, is the very essence of what is not good. And that rebellion stands then in stark contrast to the character of God. It stands in his, against his nature. It stands in stark contrast to his goodness. The rebellion was darkness compared to the light. And it is a very uh, clear violation of God's holy standard. Okay, it's 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 that's what sin is. It's a very real thing. And and sin isn't just simply an idea, okay? Sin has substance. Okay, in fact, notice what Paul says in Romans 5. He says, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Okay, and what he's saying here is that sin came into the world through man. So there was a point in time when sin wasn't in the world. It wasn't here. Okay, but then Adam and Eve rebelled, bringing sin into the world. And so sin entered the world, and, and, and here's the thing. When it did, death came with it. Death came through sin. Death came as a result of sin. Now, this is the part that I want you to understand. Sin, then, is the direct cause of death. Sin is what brought death into the world. Sin is what, what brings death into the world right now. And we can see it all around us, okay? We can see for our own eyes that sin leads to death. We can see how alcoholism and drug abuse lead to death. We can see how violent behavior leads to death. We can see how hate leads to death. And that's just physical death. But we also see that sin leads to death in other areas as well. Sin, the sin of infidelity, leads to the death of marriages. The sin of dishonesty can lead to the death of a person's career. The sin of, uh, of greed can lead to the death of your finances. The sin of betrayal can, can cause the death of friendships. The sin of lust can cause the death of lots of different things and lots of different people who are connected to that. You see, the, the evidence of sin, of its reality, is all around us. Because sin 
is the, is the cause of death. You see, sin is not simply just an abstract idea. It's a very real thing. And we know that it's real because we can see the devastating consequences of that everywhere around us. Sin is very real. Okay? And it's a very real problem for the world. And worse than that, number two, there are consequences for sin. Because sin is real, it has real consequences. That is the second thing you need to understand about sin, that it produces dire consequences. And not only does it lead to physical death, but it ruins relationships and destroys families and and poisons the world. But there's even a greater consequence to sin than that. In fact, uh, Paul tells us in Romans 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Okay? In other words, God's wrath, his righteous fury and anger is revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness or sin of men. The sin of man, the sin of the world provokes God to a righteous anger. It angers him. It infuriates him and it leads to his wrath. And there is coming on the horizon at some point a judgment and a punishment for sin. There will be devastating, devastating consequences for sin. Consequences that go well beyond this life. In fact, Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. See, there's coming a time when God will judge the world. And he will judge sin. And those who sin, those who are in their sin, will receive what is due for what they've done. And they will receive what is due for the sin in their lives. And the Bible tells us what is due for sin. Paul tells us in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages, okay, what you earn, what you rightfully deserve... From your sin is death. You earn death because of your sin. Now, here's what you have to understand. This is not simply just physical death because the opposite of this gift is eternal life in Jesus Christ. You see, the ultimate penalty for sin isn't just simply that you die, okay? It's that you experience a new kind of death in eternity. It's an eternal death. It's an eternal death that isn't where you just die and cease to exist. It's an eternal death that has devastating, devastating consequences to it. It's devastatingly worse than just simply vanishing, okay? It's what we call hell. It is the eternal separation from the living God. It's the eternal eternal separations from the presence of Jesus Christ. And it's an existence of torment and pain. That is the consequence of sin. Jesus himself says, and do not fear those who kill the body but but kill the soul. Rather fear him who can uh, destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay, some people want to just dismiss the idea of hell and act like it's not real, but Jesus describes it for us. He said, says it's the outer darkness, and in that place there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a place of continual eternal torment. That is what you deserve. That is what I deserve. That's what we all deserve for our sin. That's what happens when you die in your sin. You will be judged and punished being cast into hell. You see, the truth that you must believe about sin is that it has devastating, devastating consequences attached to it. And then number three, you must absolutely understand and believe that we are all, every one of us sinners. We are all sinners, inclusive, meaning I'm a sinner and that you are a sinner. In fact, um, 
Everyone you know and ever have met is a sinner. And this is a fact that we have to come to, term, come to terms with. You are a sinner. It is in your nature to sin. Okay? It is who you are. It is what you do. You are covered up in your sin. This is a fact that you must own. This is a fact that you must believe in order to receive Christ. You are, I'm sorry to tell you, you are a broken, no good sinner. Okay, and, I'm not, and I'm not the one saying this. This is what the Bible tells us. Paul wrote in Romans 3.23, he says, For all have sinned. All, inclusive, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, Romans 3.10, he says, For none is righteous. No, not one. Not a single one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together have all become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. You see, the Bible is very, very clear about this. Everyone is a sinner, including you. Your greatest problem is the fact that you are a sinner. Okay? And, and you know this is the truth. You know that you're a sinner as much as you don't want to admit it. Okay? Because deep down you know what you've done in your life. You know the things that you have done before that you're so ashamed of that you don't even want to think about them. Okay? You know the things that you still do today and you wish that you just stopped doing. Okay? You know that you're a sinner. You know that you fall short of God's glorious standards for holiness and righteousness. You know this. You're a sinner. And because you're a sinner, there's going to be consequences for that sin. And to make things worse, there's nothing that you can do about it. There's nothing you can do to fix it. The truth is that you have to understand and embrace is you cannot fix it. You cannot save yourself. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. Now this truth right here flies in the face of what the vast majority, and I mean the vast majority, of what the world believes and hopes for. They believe that your life is similar to a scale, okay? That, you know, one day you're going to face God and he will weigh your good deeds on one side and your bad deeds on the other side. And if the good outweighs the bad, then guess what? You win, right? And you get to go to heaven. That is what most people hope for. Okay, And so there are some people who call themselves Christians who believe that once you trust in Jesus, then you have to get busy right, doing good things because God's grace isn't enough for you. You have to tip the scale somehow you know, of your life by doing good works. But the problem is you can't do it. Let me just say it again. And you can take the, write this down and take it to the bank. You can't do it. Isaiah tells us very clearly in, in Isaiah 64, 6, he says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We, will, we all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. See, what Isaiah is saying to us here is the best that we can offer God. The very best that we can offer to our Heavenly Father with all of our service is nothing but trash in His sight. The very best of our efforts, the very best of our intentions, the very best that we can, we can pay for, the very, very best that we can work for, all of that, all the good that we do in front of God is trash before His sight. And as I've said before, it's not that our good deeds aren't good. It's just that our sin is that bad. Our sin in our life stains everything we do, including what we do for good. Our sin pollutes everything. Our sin is so devastating and so repulsive and so infectious that it's impossible to fix it. We simply can't help enough. We can't serve enough. We can't love enough. We can't feed enough kids. We can't drill enough water wells in, in Africa for, for people. We can't be kind enough and compassionate enough 
and to overcome the stain of our sin. Nothing we do of our own can save us. That's why we say, it's not what you do. It's what you believe that saves you. Because you can do, you cannot do anything. You can't do enough to save yourself. Okay? And, and, I'm, and that's why I'm emphatic about this. In fact, the other day I had someone respond to me on Facebook uh, on one of my posts. Um, and, and, and this lady said, well, I think it's a combination of both. I think it's both, you know, what you believe in and what you do. And, and I'm just going to tell you right now, that's absolutely false. Okay? It is not a combination of false. It cannot, I mean, it cannot be a combination of both. Because here's the truth. If you're capable of saving yourself, then you're, you, you would do it. But you can't. Okay? And, and to say that you, that, that, that you have to do something to merit your salvation after the death of Christ is like saying Christ's death on the cross is not sufficient enough for your sin. It flies in the face of exactly face of what the, what the Bible teaches. Paul clearly teaches us when he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Amen. You see, you cannot have a hand in your own salvation because... I'm sorry to tell you, but your hands are not clean. Okay? They are covered in sin. And your salvation is either all Jesus or it is nothing. Okay? Because the truth is, you cannot save yourself even if God gives you a little push of grace. Your sin still will always overcome your efforts. So it's about putting your trust and hope in Jesus alone to save you from your sin. It is Christ or it's nothing at all. And so that's, that's where we are. The things that we need to understand and know and believe about sin. Okay. Is that sin's a real thing. Okay. And that sin has consequences to it. That, you know, that, that one day people will go to hell because of their sin. And that you, yourself, are a sinner. And there's nothing you can do to save yourself from your sin. And, and, and these are things that you must understand. Because it is through understanding these things and believing these things that you can actually recognize what your greatest need is. You see, your greatest need is not more money, believe it or not. Okay? I'm just going to tell you, I know a bunch of you, you know, uh, probably bought a ticket. But I'm going to tell you, if you had won $1.8 billion dollars, it wouldn't have solved all your problems. Okay? You might think so, and you might say, well, I'd like to try. Okay? Right? But it would not have, it would not have, you know, met your greatest need. Okay? All right? And, and your greatest need is not a bigger house. Your greatest need is not, you know, a spouse to love you. Your greatest need is not, you know, a better job. Your greatest need is not even getting back those people in your life that you've lost. Okay. Your greatest need is the same need that we all have. Your greatest need is the fact that you are a broken sinner, destined for hell, and there's nothing you can do about it. And you're desperate, in desperate need for a Savior. Your greatest need is for someone to save you from your sins. You see, it's not until you understand that need. It's not until you understand who you really are, a broken sinner incapable of saving yourself. It is not until you understand that that you can actually make sense of why Jesus came to die in the first place. It's not until you understand that, that you can actually move towards Christ in faith. Because the truth is this, who God is will forever be irrelevant to you. 
until you understand why he had to die. I'll say that one more time. Who God is will forever be irrelevant to you until you understand why he had to die. And you will never understand why he had to die until you understand the devastating truth about who you are and about the sin in your life. You are a broken sinner incapable of saving yourself. That's the truth that you must understand. That is the truth that you must grab a hold of. That is where you must begin in order to receive the salvation of Christ. You must begin with the truth about who you are and about your sin. In fact, that's why at the bottom of that sheet that I was telling you about, okay, there's a little fill-in section for you to, to fill out. We'll do that right now. I typed this up to help you kind of get really clear about this and, and about who you are and the sin in your life. And so let's just take a moment and let's fill that out together. Okay? At the very bottom, it says I, and then it says put your name. So please put your name. Not just your name, but actually your name. Okay? So it says I put, you know, and so my name would, would, mine would read like this. I, Sherman Burkhead, am a broken sinner. That's the next part. And there is nothing I can do about it. I'm a broken sinner. There's nothing I can do about it. That, my friends, is the bottom line truth. You are a sinner, and there's nothing you can do to save yourself. So fill that in, and, 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 and by way of acknowledging that truth, and what I want you to do is I want you to take a second and sign your name to that, okay? Sign your name to that, affirming that you understand and believe that truth, that you are a broken sinner and there's nothing you can do about it. Because when you understand and believe how desperate your situation is with respect to sin, then you're finally ready to receive the remedy for that sin, Jesus Christ. When you understand the score, then you can legitimately place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ to make you, you know, not a better person, okay, and not to give you a better life. You place your hope and trust in Him to do what He came to do, which is save you from your sins. Now, I know that that's a difficult teaching, and I know that's something that, 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 you know, many of us want to push back against. Right? And I know right now that our culture and, and our world is becoming less and less ex, you know, tolerant of that. And it's, and it's less acceptable to talk about sin and admit that we're sinners. In fact, the culture would rather overlook sin altogether and call it something else. We want to call the, uh, sin mistakes or indiscretions you know, or lapses of judgment. We don't want to say the word sin. And, and we don't want to see in ourselves and other people the sin. We would rather look, you know, you know, at the good in people and ignore the fundamental truth of their sinful, you know, behavior. In fact, there was a very famous pastor in America who said, well, I believe that 99.9% .9 of people are good and decent people. They just sometimes make mistakes. Sometimes. Okay. And, and to many people, that sounds really, really good. That sounds really, really caring. And hopeful and, and thoughtful. I mean, how wonderful. It's refreshing. How refreshing a perspective that is on the human condition. What a positive human being. Okay? That's why so many people attend his church. is because he says lots of wonderful things like that. But there's a problem with this. The problem is that he doesn't actually qualify the statement. Because this statement of people being good and decent is, is not an absolute statement. It's actually a relative statement. It must be relative to something. Okay, because 99% of people, if they're good and decent, you know, what are they good and decent relative to what? Hitler? Stalin? Right? Pol Pot or Kim Jong-il? I mean, 
I mean, well, if that's the comparison, then I'm going to admit the majority of people then are good and decent people. Now, I don't think it's 99.9%, okay? I, I really don't believe that because I believe, you know what, if, if many people had the ability to have ultimate authority like those guys, they'd do the same thing, okay? So I'd say it's still a high percentage, but it's not 99.9%. But what if you compare that same group of people to like maybe Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, what if the percentage of people then, what, what, what is the percentage then if that is our standard for what good is? That percentage goes way down. I think fewer people are, are good and decent compared to those two. I mean, I know that I don't make that list, right? I mean, what about you? Do you make that list? Well, the standard for good is really none of that. It's not Hitler and it's not Mother Teresa. Our standard for good is actually Jesus that's the standard by which we're measured. And by comparison, we fall woefully short. Now, I understand the desire. I understand the desire to want to relate to people as good and decent. Okay? I have lots of people in my life. There are lots of people that I know and care about in this room that I would say that they are good people. I would say, yeah, he's a good guy, or, or yes, she is a good person. There are a number of people that I know and respect, and by and large, I, I, I feel like or look to them as good people. But what I mean by a good person and what the world means by a good person are two completely different things. You see, the world believes that people are basically good, but occasionally do bad things. But the truth is, the Bible, what it teaches is that we are all actually bad people who occasionally do good things. It's just some people do more good than others. You see, this is an important distinction because we are broken sinners in need of a Savior. We are not good people who just need to clean up our acts a little bit. Okay, That's the di distinction. We're broken sinners in need of a sa Savior. We're not good people who just simply need to clean up our acts a little bit. Okay, And let me just prove that to you right now. Let me prove to you the world is not filled with good people who occasionally do bad things. Okay, This is going to be the hard part. And let me just start with this. One in four, it's 25%, one in four girls will be sexually assaulted before the age of 18. 25%. One in six boys, the same thing. The average age is 12 to 14 years old. Okay, here's the disturbing part, if that wasn't disturbing enough. The victims, of these victims, 34% of them will be sexually abused by a family member. Okay, the number just got really high. That's people they know, people that they're related to, uncles, cousins, grandfathers, stepdads, fathers, brothers, you know, and so on. This fact alone takes our 99.9% .9 of people and reduces it way down here. Okay? All right. But there's more. Did you know that nearly 66, two-thirds, 66% 66 of men regularly watch hardcore pornography? 66%. Two-thirds. Okay, and the numbers for the men in the church are really close to that. And not to mention that nearly 40% of women do the same thing. Now, think about this. Nearly 4,392,000,000 hours of porn were watched on one website last year. One website. And to give you an idea how that, that, that relates is if you were to take all the iPhones that were sold in 2015 and you were to empty their memory and fill them all full of pornography, you might have enough space to store all of it. 
And if you think that this is a harmless thing, let me just tell you, okay, what, what the popular, I mean, I mean the, the, the porn industry tracks what are the popular genres or the things that people are looking for. And on that popular list were search words like stepmom, teen, stepsister, okay? And there are lots of other categories I dare not even mention here in church, okay? So what about the percentage of good and decent people now? that occasionally make a couple of mistakes. What about infidelity? Okay, hold on to your, on to your hat. 70% of women and 76% of men cheat on their spouses. 70% of women, 76% of men, okay? And we're not even talking about things like greed or vanity or just plain old selfishness. How many in here know somebody, at least one person, who's selfish, right? Yeah, I think we think we, we all are, right? Okay. The truth is, we're not good and decent people who occasionally make mistakes. We have got to come to terms with that. We are broken sinners incapable of saving ourselves. And we desperately, desperately need the grace of God. And we desperately need to be saved from our sin. Because obviously, we can't do it. We can't save ourselves. Sin is a very real thing with devastating consequences. We are all sinners and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And contrary to popular opinion today, God still take sin very seriously. So, today I'm asking you, accept the truth of who you are, a broken sinner, and then receive Christ for who He is, God in the flesh who came and died for you to save you from that sin. Let me pray for you. Lord God, your word is very real to us and it's very direct and very poignant. And Father, I just pray that this is something that we would come to. That's, this is the thing that drives me to the foot of the cross. This is the thing for me that helps me um, to understand um, why I need you so much. This, is, this right here is also the reason why I just can't understand why you love me. <laughs> I mean, of all the things that I can't understand about you, why you love me, because I know who I am. I know, I know, I know, I know. There are things that I just know about who I am that I'm just ashamed to even think about. You know, there are things that I've done in my life that I just, just I shudder at just that I could be capable of those things. I, I shudder at sometimes the things that I can, I'm so capable of thinking today. And so it's just by your grace. And I just pray that we just all come to that place. We would just accept that, you know. And then and that's the bad news of the gospel. That's the bad news. But the good news of the gospel is that in spite of that, in spite of who we are, you said, I love you. And your word declares, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him will not perish but have, present tense, eternal life. Paul says, what must you do to be, believe to be, do to be saved? You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It has nothing to do with being better or cleaned up or anything and actually, Lord, I want to be obedient. I want to walk in holiness because I love you and I feel a sense of obligation to you. And I want to be pleasing in your sight because I know I'm nothing without you. And so I just pray, Lord, that those who don't know you would accept you now. In fact, 
If you have not placed your trust in Christ now, today's a great day to do that. And I just invite you to just pray with me this prayer. And it's simply, it's just an acknowledgement of what the truth is. And the truth is simply this. Lord, I'm a sinner. I am broken. And I am nothing without you. And I realize I can't fix it. I can't make it right. I can't do it on my own. I need for you to save me. And I take you at your word and I believe with all my heart that you sent your son to die for me and pay for my sin. And I confess right now that Jesus is the Lord. I want to follow him and I want to, I want to, I want to be his disciple. I, that he is Lord and that I believe in my heart with all my fiber and my being that you rose him from the dead. A historical fact. And that by believing that I'd be saved. Lord, send the Holy Spirit into my heart to convict me and to confirm for me that I belong to you and help me follow you all the days of my life. Lord, I love you and I praise you. And Lord, we just pray that you would raise up in this congregation of people who would go out and take that message to their community and the rest of the world. And we pray that in all that we do, that you be glorified. We love you and we, we praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org and please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.